Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Vanguards of Healthcare podcast series. My name is Matt Henriksen, the Medical Technology Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, which is the in-house equity research platform of Bloomberg. We are pleased to have with us today Kevin Sayer, CEO of Dexcom, a medical device company that is a key leader in the expansion of continuous glucose monitors, or CGMs for short. You can dive deeper into the financials by typing in DXCM Equity Go on your Bloomberg terminal. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me today. So, Kevin, you've been the CEO of Dexcom for since 2015, such a long tenure there. It feels like you've been the leader, though, pretty much for the entire history. Um, but that was not always the case. Why don't we start with kind of what was your path to the Dexcom CEO role and how did you get started into the diabetes space in the first place? Uh, that is a, a great question. I started in diabetes actually in 1994. I spent the early part of my career in public accounting uh, working at Ernst & Young, and I took the opportunity to become chief financial officer of Minimed Technology that is now Medtronic Diabetes. And while many people jump into the diabetes industry because it's a personal crusade, they have somebody in their family who has type 1 diabetes, I looked at the business opportunity back then as, as, as it was presented to me of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors and trying to have technology manage this difficult condition. And I just thought to myself, this is a great opportunity to jump to and a great problem to solve. And so I got in in 1994 and we sold that business to Medtronic in 2001 and I worked with them for a while uh, and then left. I joined Dexcom's board in 2007 because one of my close associates at, at Minimed uh, and Medtronic, Terry Gregg, had taken the CEO role here and I joined here and became the audit committee chair and Terry and I had worked together for a long time in 2011. I took the opportunity to come here and be president and chief operating officer of the company and work with Terry again with the plan that I would ultimately become CEO. So I, you know, direct industry experience, literally 20 years uh, directly involved in diabetes, but certainly uh, looking at it on the sidelines, even the years that I wasn't. And so I've been around diabetes for a very, very long time. And, you know, being around for such a long time, you've kind of seen the before and the after of uh, CGM technology. Uh, in fact, you know, when I went back and looked at the financials to see what the full year revenue was in 2014, which was the last full year before you started as C CEO, uh, revenue was $259 million. And then I'm looking at your 1Q results. Uh, you posted revenue of $740 million. So kind of doing my rough math, that means that you just did in one month of 2023 what you did full year 2014. Um, and so kind of a roundabout way of saying that is that um, let's take a quick like step back uh, and take a look at the backdrop of what the landscape was in the CGM technology before you took on the CEO role. Um, walk us through why these patients are just in desperate need to keep track of their glucose levels. 
Well, let me take you back even further. In 2011, the year I got here, our revenues were $66 million. And wow. in 2010, they were $40 million. And what was prohibitive in the early days was the maturity of the technology. For some people, it worked really well. Not for all of them. It didn't connect to anything else. It, uh, other than a handheld receiver, you had to calibrate the continuous glucose monitors with finger sticks. For those who adopted it, it was people who were really on a quest to take better care of themselves and to manage their diabetes. So it, it, it was a lot of work. And the biggest change we made, or the first thing that changed for us, was when we launched our G4 system. And all of a sudden, the data was good enough for people to rely on. And that growth from like 2012 to 2014, going from 60 to 250, was a lot of very early adopters. But our reputation started growing that this technology is better than anything else. And in all fairness, much better than our two large competitors at that time, two large companies word got out that you could rely on our device. And our next big milestone that pushed us up from there was connecting to the phone. We first went to a phone in about in 2015. So instead of carrying a medical device around to get your data, people could look at it with their phone. And what came with the phone that I think may even be our biggest innovation ever was sharing the data with others. You know, we launched our first product sharing data at that point in time. and and I've asked many of a user of our product, give me your Dexcom story, our new campaign, you know, with Nick Jonas, what, what's your magic Dexcom moment? Multiple times it's been, somebody saved my life because that data has been shared. I was with one of our own internal people last week and he told a story. He was in Europe on business for us and his boss in the U.S., follows his Dexcom data and saw his glucose values had gone down to 40 while he was asleep, called his wife who called his hotel. They went into his room, woke him up, and he avoided what would have easily been a hospitalization, if not possibly a fatal event, because of sharing the data with the system. So we started adding those features in that time period, and, the, and everybody realized there's a way I can take care of myself. People needed this information to manage their condition. I mean, can you imagine in the past, all they did was stick their finger four times a day and try and figure out what to do? Whereas now, you know, with accurate sensor technology they could rely on, they could make decisions all day long and then see the trends related to those decisions. So if I decide to eat a burger and fries at lunch, here's how much insulin I'm going to take. Well, before you'd stick your finger before lunch and then before dinner, and you wouldn't know what happened in between. With the continuous glucose monitor, people realize, wait a minute, here's the effect of that decision. Either A, I'll change my behavior and not eat that, or B, I'll just take a little more insulin or a little less insulin because I, I, I can manage my health. And so we address a very serious, several very serious problems, data to manage your condition, data to be safe, and data to get better and live a long and healthy life. No, that, that's that's quite the comprehensive uh, kind of overview of what the CGM technology does, um, and you know some of the key takeaways that I took from that is the um, you know it's a reading every five minutes instead of four finger pricks a day, um, and then just as you were mentioning the kind of the being able to communicate with both the patient and family members and doctors. 
and that kind of gets us to now the most recent technology, which is your G7 device. That was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that was approved in December and you began your launch this year. Um, how does that generation differ from kind of previous Dexcom CGMs that were in the market, as well as kind of the current competitive offerings? Yeah, uh, for us, this is many, many years of research and, and many, many dollars of, uh, of effort. And when we did this, we listened to our users, you know, what do you want? We've made the device 60% smaller than the previous one. We've made it very simple to use. Uh, from a use perspective. It is the most accurate system on the market. You know, something that has always been identified with Dexcom is this is going to be the best technology as far as accuracy of glucose measurements. And, and we achieved that. It was very important for us in, in getting that goal, uh, you know, in getting that product out there. Another thing we've done very strongly with the launch is make this technology accessible. We are the most accessible CGM brand as far as reimbursement and coverage on, on the market today as well. So all those things and then little things within the system, you know, things, uh, people's experience. We added a 30 minute warm up versus a two hour warm up. So when somebody puts this thing on 30 minutes later, they have data that they can rely on. It means so much to, to individuals to have that quick warm up and I talked a bit about the form factor, the ease of use in the applicator. From an environmental perspective, we greatly reduce the materials uh, that are thrown away every time, even though you know the plastics can be recycled, but we cut that down significantly, and we look to do that with other products going forward as well. I'm sure we'll talk about the future more uh, during our conversation. So anything that anybody loved about G6, we're going to love more about G7, and that's where we started. And that's what we're seeing with this system so far since we launched it. That's, you know, it's, it just sounds like, you know, just making it iteratively better each, each generation. Uh, how does accuracy play a role? Um, is, well, one, can you tell the listeners kind of what is the, the key uh, accuracy metrics um, that you, uh, the competitors, the physicians, the reimbursement uh, agencies, what are they all looking for? Um, and this, you know, how is that, um, tr the, those accuracy trends evolved over the last 10 years? Yeah, being the nerd that I am, I could talk for a long time on this, but I'll, I'll keep it very simple. In our studies, what we have to do is we have to take a blood glucose measurement and compare it to what our sensor says and then come up with a, an average difference between the two. And not only do you have the average difference on an overall basis, but it's very important that a system be accurate when blood glucose values are extremely low or high because those are the conditions that are dangerous. On top of that, the accuracy is important because many of our systems now speak with automated insulin delivery systems where insulin delivery is regulated through algorithms based on that data. And, it, and again, they need to be accurate and reliable all the time. So we consider all those factors as we de develop our technologies, accuracy in the extreme conditions, accuracy all the time over the course of the session, and accuracy in data that you can rely on, you're going to make a good decision and you're going to stay healthy. Because when a patient makes that decision, particularly using insulin, to dose insulin, insulin is a life-saving and a life-threatening drug. 
you don't get enough, you can have bad things happen. You take too much and you can have difficult things happen. So that data can be relied on. And we, we've always been regarded as the most accurate sensor on an overall basis, but in particular in those extreme areas where people uh, have highest risk. That, now that's the important thing too, is just making sure that, you know, you get the high risk patients. So let's kind of talk about the, the diabetic population base. Um, there's multiple ways to kind of split this overall base into different cohorts. But one of the ones that seems to be becoming more and more prevalent is the cohort of those who are insulin intensive, uh, those who need some insulin and those who don't need any insulin. Um, how do you view those market opportunities as different or as similar? Um, and is, do you see any one opportunity significantly bigger than the other? We have made our company, you know, our company sales for the most part to date are insulin users. That's where our product has been approved. Uh, our product's been approved for all diabetes, but that's where our product's been approved for reimbursement up to this point in time. And people tend to purchase products for their health up to this point in time where it is reimbursed. And the characteristics necessary for those patients are the things that I've described earlier, connectivity to other devices, accurate and reliable data, sharing data with others uh, to keep you safe and those things. And we've done a very good job at that. That market from a size perspective, those on intensive insulin therapy in the United States where you take more than one shot a day is somewhere around 4 million people. But so I hear numbers between three and 5 million, uh, depending mm -hmm. upon what you read. Those who take a little bit of insulin or you know, one shot a day because they're not quite at the other area and they, 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 these individuals have type two diabetes, that's another 4 million people, three to 4 million people in the US. Those who suffer from diabetes who don't take insulin, that's more like 30 million people in the US, uh, 30 million more and prediabetes is even a bigger condition. And as we look to the future, we think the accuracy and performance of our product can, can work very well in those markets, but it is addressing a different need Rather than administering a life-saving drug, it's 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 addressing a need as far as keeping people healthy, keeping diabetes from advancing, and giving them information that they don't know yet uh, about their health. And we're beginning to broach that market. I I think the core sensor technology and the core things we built our business on will apply very well there. What's going to be important for us is to create an experience that will engage those uh, individuals to use the system, and we're contemplating and working on that now. It's a very exciting effort for us in the future. Yeah. And actually it's interesting. I, I, I never connected the dots that the, the G7, uh, the, the other CGMs in the past, they were FDA approved for all diabetic patients. So when you, when I think about, you know, getting a product out, a med medical technology product out to the market, you need FDA approval and you need reimbursement. You already got that one FDA approval step down. So it's just getting reimbursement, which kind of then brings us to kind of the recent development that took place in Medicare, where they've decided to cover all patients who use insulin, not just those who are, in, you know, using it um, intensively. How is that development um played out over the last several months um, and how, how, how have you got, how is Dexcom um, planning to expand with that new reimbursement? That reimbursement decision is based largely on a study that Dexcom ran uh, where we, 
we put people on uh, basal insulin only on Dexcom CGM, a study called the Mobile Study, and showed they benefited as much from CGM technologies as intensive insulin users did because of the lifestyle changes they could make based on the data. And the users loved uh, having the technology all the time. That decision became final and implemented in mid-April. So we're now starting to uh, address that market directly. A lot of those individuals see physicians who are not endocrinologists. They see primary care doctors. We've expanded our commercial organization to call on more of those uh, healthcare physician, you know, those healthcare providers who may not know as much about CGM as others. We've gone broader in our, in our advertising, uh, certainly to create awareness amongst that population. So you've seen a lot of Dexcom ads or more than we we have in the past. And, and we think the current system will meet their needs extremely well. And so it is, it, it is literally the biggest opening of access in this community that we've ever experienced. CGM has now been made available to a larger base than ever before with this one approval by CMS. And we're looking forward to bringing those patients on the system. And if we're successful, what will happen again with those individuals, if, if they take the data and manage the condition better, they can prevent these complications of diabetes from coming and possibly get to the point where they may not have to go on intensive insulin therapy or at least delay it several years which again leads to a healthier and longer life. Uh, interesting. And so I, I have a kind of a, a few kind of questions about this business model. Let's just start with the, 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 the new kind of reaching out to the primary care physicians, that side of the business model. Is that, should we view that as kind of a, a kind of a parallel business model to the, the current uh, or, the or the previous model that you had with reaching out to the endocrinologists, or is there some level of overlap in between? There is overlap in between, but it is a little bit different because there is awareness uh, that we have to create. Primary care doctors are not focused on diabetes 24-7. And so, again, in anticipation of, of expanding our company, expanding our market, we doubled the size of our sales force. Uh, not in 22, but 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 before then, and enabling our people to call on more doctors. We also offer, again, more materials and, and samples and things like that in that population, different than what we've done before. And so it really hasn't been parallel, but we know that the, the call point is different and the user uh, is a different user than somebody who's managing you know, diabetes each and every minute of every day as they take insulin all the time. So it has created opportunities for us to expand and call on, on more people. And, and we've done, we think we've done a good job of that so far. We've seen great growth. Even with G7 on earnings call last week, we said in just a couple of weeks of launch, we've seen a thousand healthcare providers who'd never prescribed Dexcom before prescribed Dexcom. So we think G7 and, and G7 is important to that because it is a much simpler system to use than our G6 was. And, and, and we really think we're positioned much better to do that than we were before. No, that's um, that, that a thousand uh, new prescribers is uh, quite a, quite a stat. In so a couple of weeks. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me, let me just ask this way. So with this new business model, you know, we, we, we talked about, um, how these devices are FDA approved for all diabetic patients. We're working, you know, but reimbursement for those who don't take insulin um, isn't there yet. Um, is that something where if and when um, 
there is reimbursement for those patients who have type 2 diabetes who don't um, don't need insulin. They get that reimbursement. Is the new business model you're making now kind of the foundation to just kind of scale that business? Again, with it depends on the channel. There's reimbursement. There's many different types of reimbursement across our, our patient base. For example, CMS and Medicare, they have reimbursement rates, and that applies to all the insulin users, those who just take one shot a day and those who take who, who are on intensive insulin therapy, and they have one CMS reimbursement rate across the board for all the products in the category. And in Medicaid and in the, in the state programs, it's very similar. There's Medicaid reimbursement. We have 45 of 50 states now, and Dexcom has been very instrumental in driving that. For our traditional user base right now, there are a few plans who pay for uh, CGM for anybody who wants it. Not a tremendous summer, but there are some. We do our best to try and put ourselves in a position to get it reimbursed for everybody. Uh, but, but again, and, and you know, being a, a med tech analyst, you know how the insurance business works. That's also a cost control measure for insurance companies if we can put parameters around reimbursement, either lowering prices or put pre-authorizations in place or what have you to make people work to get it. That's kind of how they manage their businesses as well. So. We go through all that. We have a reimbursement team that goes and negotiates rates and and paperwork and pre-authorization and everything. Ultimately, we would like to get it reimbursed. We also have cash price offerings. Uh, right now, for example, we have a, a program that we call a bridge program. If insurance is not covering your Dexcom G7, there's a very low cash price, much lower than what we've charged before that people can, if they have a prescription, can go to the drugstore and get the product. We look at programs like that for those who don't take insulin as well over time as we get into to that market. We have many options here. Okay. And then could one of those options be new clinical data? Um, I mean, because you're talking about um, the costs that these insurers would have to put up front for CGM technology, but would a cost-benefit analysis potentially showing reduced hospitalizations for these patients be something that in the cards to kind of show or to at least quantify where this technology could help these patients? We have had numerous efforts with multiple partners uh, demonstrating the effectiveness of CGM in this population. Uh, And over and over again, what we see is a significant reduction in A1C and we see a reduction in healthcare costs and the reduced healthcare costs for these people with type 2 diabetes go across the board. They go off, possibly can go off some of their diabetes drugs. We've seen people on as many as six or seven different diabetes drugs as we've gotten into some of this clinical data. Some studies we've done on our own, some we've done with other partners. We we see reduced lab tests. We see reduced doctor visits, reduced hospitalizations. So there's an overall cost reduction across the board. When people have proper data to make decisions for their health, costs come down. And and so we know over time that that's what happens. The question is how to design that study and how long it takes. And what we struggle with is we think this market is ready and we don't really want to do a five-year study where we track everybody. But we are looking at studies. We do work with several outside entities, healthcare providers, data companies, numerous people to get that type of data and put it all together. And I think we'll continue to do it that way. And if we see a landmark study to support or run on our own, we're not averse to running that either because we think this technology is that important for this group of patients. 
Well, that's something I'll, I look forward to. And it seems from a common sense standpoint, you want to kind of treat these type two patients earlier on so it doesn't progress to get worse with this required insulin and uh, even further complications. But what what do I know? Um, interesting <laughs> thing about the agree more. <laughs> well, it's interesting though. With the, you know, going back, just we continue with the reimbursement side though. You know, there's what the reimbursement's willing to pay, but there's also you know the pricing of the CGM devices. Um, walk us through what has the pricing trends been over the last five, ten years? Over the past several years, our realized revenue for a patient has come down on a on a global basis. Uh, not just in the U.S., but on a global basis. We have made the decision that to drive more access to our technology, we needed to make it more accessible from a pricing perspective. Uh, in, in countries outside the U.S., that's often determined by governments because governments are often the payer. And, and our focus, you know, our focus has always been the customer is the person who wears the device every day. And we design the devices and our technology for that. But we've had to learn the lesson, particularly internationally, that that individual may not even get a choice because if somebody else decides what technology you're gonna get based on reimbursement, we needed to have a presence there. And so we, we've worked hard in those markets. We, by and large, get a premium over our major competitor in most geographies. In the U.S., prices, again, for Medicare are set by CMS, and we're all in the same category. That's certainly a third of the population that uses CGM or is eligible for CGM in general. Medicaid prices are also set at the state level. And then on the payer side, we have two channels we go through, a pharmacy channel where you get it through the drugstore and pharmacy and PBM and similar to what you do for drugs. We have a pricing model there, and then we have durable medical equipment which is where uh, this pricing has gone and actually where the Medicare patients get their product as well. And we have pricing models there that are higher than those in the pharmacy. And we manage that with the goal in mind. Obviously we have to run our business, but we try and minimize the amount that individuals pay. So I can give you a, you know, a statistic in the US, if you have commercial insurance and go to the pharmacy, 30% of those people for Dexcom CGM, the copay is zero. And 70% of patients who have commercial pharmacy coverage pay amount equal to or less than what they would pay for our largest competitor. So we've done a very good job of increasing access for individuals getting CGM. I think it's very important that, that people understand that and that they have access to this technology. We've tried really hard to make it accessible while managing our business at the same time. Yeah, and you know, one of the things about you know, the managing the business is with G7, you, I mean, 1,000 new prescribers for the technology. The demand sounds like it's there. Um, you need to build up the capacity to supply that demand. Um, so what type of investments have been made for G7 manufacturing? And then just kind of as a caveat to that, you talk about how you've been able to make the revenue per patient lower to make it more affordable for the, the patients, as you talk about zero copay, um, things, other statistics like that. Um, how are you setting up these manufacturings to be able to, you know, be able to manufacture more efficiently and maintain that level of profitability while be able to provide access to more and more patients? Well, if you'd have come visit me in 2015 when I first became CEO, you would have seen manufacturing lines that were all manual. 
and we put these things together by hand uh, in our one manufacturing facility located here in San Diego. As time has gone on, we have a very large manufacturing plant in Arizona, and we've automated uh, most all of our manufacturing. And so these devices, we've invested hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in manufacturing equipment. With respect to G7, all of the lines used to manufacture G6, none of those go into manufacturing G7. We've completely changed our manufacturing process to whereby it's 100% automated, and we will invest literally close to a billion dollars in G7 manufacturing between when we started buying the equipment and uh, building it out. We've also built a, a large facility in Malaysia to give us duplicate manufacturing and give us more capacity and also supply chain diversification as well. So we have suppliers supplying that plan in addition to the suppliers that supply us here in the U.S. Uh, scale is, is very important for us and it's something that we've invested significantly in over the past several years. If you look at our financials, you'll see a lot of capital expenditure. And that's to get to scale to whereby we can build these things consistently on an automated basis at the lowest possible cost. The, the scale investment has been dramatic over the past five years. So you've made the investments to to scale, to get to supply that demand. You've also made investments in your um, commercials. And we kind of briefly talked about um, Nick Jonas here, but you know, you had your Super Bowl ad. Um, what was the decision to get into a Super Bowl ad? Normally you see commercials for beer or Chevrolets. Um, you don't really see commercials for medical technology devices. So what was the strategy around that uh, Super Bowl ad and kind of what have you seen um, since February? Well, we knew we were going to launch G7. We knew G7 was coming and we felt launching G7 on the biggest stage possible was a strategic investment that we wanted to make. Having a spokesperson as engaging as Nick Jonas is an incredible asset uh, for our company. Uh, he is fantastic, and he not only speaks for our, our product, but he uses it. And so he's very passionate about it, and that's been a wonderful relationship. When we do an ad like that, it's to as much to create awareness of the technology in general as it is just to sell Dexcoms. And, and so people see that who may be sticking their finger, who may have been sticking their finger ever, who may not have awareness that exists. I don't have all the statistics because a lot of it's still early, but like the number of impressions we had for this ad is, only, is literally 3x what it was the last time. We did run a Super Bowl ad back in uh, 2021, mm -hmm. but the awareness for this ad or the impression for this ad are 3x more than the previous one. There is a lot more uh, awareness been driven by this ad th than previously. And we wanted to give G7 the best possible stage. The other thing we did, again, as you go back and watch the ad, you know, the theme of the ad is your Dexcom magic moment. Well, we've now had numerous people all over the world share their Dexcom magic moment with us, either on, you know, on our website and our social media platforms. And it'll be the theme of our ads. Uh, we have a group called Dexcom Warriors. Some of our users sign up to be to be spokespeople for our company. And our warriors have shared their magic moments with us, and they've just been spectacular. So this really is the kickoff of that launch and that awareness platform uh, to make people aware of our technology. It sounds like quite a kickoff. And you know, I know you haven't 
gotten all the data yet, but a thousand new prescribers has got to be some somewhat of a driver from those commercials. Um, and so, you know, we're kicking off G7. It's 2023. Um, if I did my math right, it was five years ago when the previous generation, the G6, was launched. Um, sounds like there's a lot that G7 can do to just expand, you know, this CGM market, get new users trying it for the first time. Um, you know, but when we're looking at five years from now and, you know, I'm, we're already jumping the gun. So you have to forgive me for that. Um, what are kind of, what's, how do we even improve on G7 even more? What are some of the components that you'd like to see updated between now and then? And maybe saying it another way, what's, what's your vision of a perfect CGM in the future? Well, if you'd asked me five years ago, I'd have said G7, and now <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of what the next one is after. Uh, obviously, we will work on those things that are really important to our user base, continued improvement of accuracy and connectivity to multiple devices and getting people that data where they, where they can use it best, be it in a Dexcom app or in somebody else's app or connected to another device. So we'll continue to invest in that experience from an actual physical perspective, we will look at, for example, different electronics configurations that that might be more powerful or stronger, different radios, different chips, things of that nature. Always accuracy on the sensor, more reusable materials, or or, or if they're not reusable, less materials. So again, our, our footprint becomes smaller. We're very cognizant of of the environment. And, and, you know, we, again, being a worldwide company, in some countries that is much more prevalent a, a concern for our users than even than it is here in the United States. I think over time we will measure other analytes in addition to glucose, uh, some for the diabetes patient, some uh, for other health and wellness uh, reasons. Uh, We've talked a little bit about some of those things. For, for example, we've talked about a lactate measurement for that would be used in the hospital or for elite athletes who want to see how their workouts go. And you can combine that data with glucose data and have a great experience. And we look at other analytes. If, if the commercial opportunity is equal to the development opportunity that we'd be undertaking, uh, we'll look at and pursue those. We have an advanced science group that does that reliability. Our primary investment today is to make that sensor last longer. Right now, our product lasts 10 days, and we felt the experience from a 10-day sensor met the needs and the expectations of, of our customer base and our patient base. We really want to make it last 15 days so patients don't have to change it as frequently as they have in the past. At the same time, we want the accuracy and performance that they're used to with Dexcom. And we're identifying those trade-offs that we have to make and making the product better to last that long. I think you'll see us develop it, not just physical CGM, but multiple experiences for individuals that will get them the best outcome that they can get. I, I, you know, perfect example. Right now, let's say, I'd love to say our sensors never fail, but they do. You can bash your arm against a car door or something. We replace many, uh, many of those sensors. Well, maybe you get the system good enough to whereby when we detect there's a sensor problem, rather than you have to call us, we say, hey, we notice you've had an issue. Can we send you a new sensor? Hit a button and go. These are the types of things we consider from the experience perspective. And we'll, we'll be addressing over the next five years to make that a, as experience as rich and meaningful as possible for people. 
So with with the current technology and kind of this future technology then, when do you envision CGMs to be the standard of care when someone said that they used to do finger sticks, you just look at them like, you did what? <laughs> I think for our intensive insulin-using patient base, it's getting close to that now. And professional literature from ADA and the Endocrine Society would indicate that is what the endocrinology community believes. I think as we get those experiences created, I talked about, and as we look at pricing models across various segments, because in all fairness, if somebody's using this for health and wellness versus intensive insulin delivery, my view and my vision is that's going to be a different business model and probably priced differently and reimbursed differently. It may not even be reimbursed. It may be a cash opportunity for those people in the beginning. So I think you're going to see several business models over time as, as, as we develop this technology out and it's used by more people. It's going to be really fun. I was about to say, it's, it sounds like we're entering the third or fourth inning, and I'm excited to see how the, the rest of the game plays out. I think the third inning is, is exactly where we are. We're not close to the ninth yet. Well, Kevin, I hope to see you uh, in the seventh inning stretch or beyond. Um, thank you for joining us. It's, it's been a great discussion. Thank you for having me. And um, to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.